Welcome to the Team Packed Podcast with your host, Quinton Pools. We hope to inspire you to think critically and biblically about current issues facing our culture, challenge you to make a difference in your community, and ultimately change the world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Team Pack Podcast. This is Quinn, your host, and it is a joy to be with you today, and it's a joy to be with Justin Neal, my guest. So, Justin, if you want to say hey to our Team Pack listeners. Hello, Team Pack world. And uh, Team Pack world, if you haven't met Justin, um, I'm going to have him share a little bit about himself, but I'll warn you ahead of time, his story in Teen Pact goes all the way back to 1995. So Justin, tell us a little bit about who you are and the role you currently serve in in Teen Pact. Sure. Uh, I was honored in 1995 to be on a basketball team that was coached by a guy who was then a pro, the program director, the only program director that worked with Tim Eccles back as he had just founded the ministry a year or two before my first class. And technically my first class was in, I guess maybe February of 1996. And it was the one and only all boys team packed class. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So that year, Tim experimented with boy class, girl class, and then co-ed <laughs> class in Georgia. Amazing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. And so um, that was my bunch. We had a we had a blast back then. We actually met. Our first official meeting was on Sunday afternoon at the Capitol when there were no legislators down there, and Tim would hand out scavenger hunts and turn us all loose. So you had these twenty-something boys in packs running all over the Capitol trying to find the answers to all these questions. And I'm sure that would be a PR nightmare nowadays and a terrible plan. And Tim, you know, but that was as an experimental idea. It was a lot of fun. I still remember running around and finding, you know, in the Georgia Capitol, they have all these weird things from Georgia, the two-headed cow and the two-headed snake and weird paintings <laughs> and these little, I don't know, it's, it's weird stuff they have. So we would go and find them and you're finishing the scavenger hunt. And that was my first official team pack meeting. Amazing. And it's fun to see how like, you know, those sorts of, you know, trial and error moments probably still produced, you know, a one day scavenger hunt for the next 25 years where maybe that's good for the eight to 12 year olds to do for like a focused 45 minutes with their parent guiding them, <laughs> but maybe yes. not sending teens. Yes. All across. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, a bunch of boys running around the Capitol. Like I couldn't believe something didn't get broken or we didn't get oh, thrown yeah. out by a security guard. I mean, it was wild. Oh man. Oh man. So. And then, and then you, you know, you continued on, you served uh, in, in leadership as a young person in Teen Pact. Did you right. ever work with the office um, when Tim was working out of Jefferson, Georgia? I was never officially an intern. I staffed and then I was on the inaugural staff teams into Florida in Louisiana. Okay, sweet. And I did several years in Florida and a couple of years in Louisiana. Uh, my dad came down as the um, kind of older adult boss. I don't even know what we called him back then, right? But but he was there in Louisiana. And I said, Florida, Louisiana. My last um, thing, I was elected as the, what was then we called the Teen Pact governor, but would now be the equivalent of a Teen Pact president. Um, and so that was 
you know, that was our, my kind of last full year as a student. And then I went on to Berry College uh, in North Georgia, did a degree in economics, met my career through a then Team Fact board member named John Crawford, who was very good close with Tim Eccles when Tim was at the University of Georgia. And then John introduced me to the business that I'm now in at Burt Neal Financial. Um, and then subsequent to my college days, as I'm one or two years into my career, uh, Tim was uh, at the time starting to think about adding alumni of the program, students who had gone through the program onto the board and wanted to get our perspective on things. So he was gracious enough to invite me to join the Team Pact board. Um, and since then, I have been a member of the board and still get to serve in that capacity today and uh, really honored and appreciative of the chance to to give to the ministry that gave has given so much to me over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate you. And it's my pleasure to be able to kind of introduce you to a lot of the listeners of the Teen Pack podcast, because, you know, other than uh, a couple of times you've spoken at national convention over the last 10 years or so, um, there's, there's probably not a whole lot of access that you get, you know, maybe bringing one of your own children to, to a Teen Pack class perhaps, but you know, most people don't know you uh, in, in the Teen Pack world. So this is really fun. And the reason I wanted to invite you on uh, to talk about this topic is because, you know, you you were challenged to be a leader at a young age and you you took that challenge and you ran with it. And Teen Pack continues to exist because we see that apathy in youth is the is the the cultural water that we swim in. And it's what we're raising a generation up in. And if we don't do something about it, if we don't challenge them to rise to this level of leadership, and uh, then then they're going to just kind of fall to the level of of their own incompetence, you know, if, if you will. Right. And yeah. uh, and so I want to think about back when, when you were in high school, you're coming up through Teen Pact. What was that like um, in terms of your peer group? Do you remember... Um, you know, were you, were you surrounded by a bunch of other kind of quote unquote natural leaders, people who wanted to, to engage well with the world, with, with their academics, with their sports and so forth, or were you kind of uh, one that stood out in the crowd? That's a hard one to answer. I don't know if I stood out in the crowd. I think what, what was important to me is seeing a connection between my, work and my ability to influence the environment around me. And as I appreciated, there is real connection, even at when I'm 15 and 16 and 18, I can impact and influence outcomes. That was a light bulb going off. And I certainly, I, I think that in my generation, as well as in the ones that follow, appreciating that I can make a difference inside of whatever context I'm in that's the life change. That's the catalyst for finding passion and purpose, which Teen Pack provided for me in many ways to recognize you can have, you can make a difference. You can do something of meaning and significance in this context. And then once you test and try that, you realize, wow, I can be a change agent here. I bet I can do that in other areas. And mm. so that was really important. The other part that I think many young people, including myself, and, and had have challenges with is finding those things where we have deeply meaningful passion that we are willing to behave differently or involve ourselves with to do the work associated with that area. So am I passionate about 
basketball or politics or taking care of myself and exercise, competition, like what is the thing, the sport, whatever that is, but finding that that's meaningful enough, I'm willing to alter my behaviors and my actions in order to make that thing more real or be better at it. I think that's a real challenge. And when you get those two things, one, I find that, and two, I believe I can make a difference in it. That to me is the spark plus the fuel that creates flame that fires people up. Mm, that's really good. So give me a couple examples for you personally. I know you're a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something yeah. you always, you know, love to do, always were disciplined in, always were passionate about, or is that something that's developed over time? Or you could pick another, you know, topic. No, in your, that's in actually a really, really good one, Quinn. Um, I didn't run at all. In fact, I was the guy in college that hated running. I hated, you know, actual exercise. So you going were me. To the gym. <laughs> Yeah, no, right. I mean, I was just your normal college kid. Like, dude, yeah, this is yeah. stupid. Why would I go run outside? It's boring. I didn't, and I, you know, you, you, this is, if this is only a, an audio podcast, you can't appreciate that I am not built for the gym, okay? <laughs> Lifting lots of weight. I was never going to be successful at that. Uh, but I was involved professionally, and I was serving a couple of families where the men were remarkably gifted people, humans. They were great dads and great husbands, and they were great uh, professionals, and they were fun and interesting, and they were also great endurance athletes. And they were older than I was. So I'm in my mid-20s. They're in their kind of 40-ish, around late 30s. And I remember thinking, that looks, these are cool people. These are the kinds of people I want to be. And I thought, they're not they're not gifted in some freakish way athletically, but they are high performing marathon runners and Ironmen. I want to be like them. And I don't think I can do this. And I don't want to grow up and end up being 40 years old and out of shape and unable to be involved. And that for me was when I got those two things came together in my life around fitness was I realized, look, I've got the capacity to do this and I can I have the motivation and energy around doing it. And that totally changed my world, right? That was um, right around 2006. And I started running consistently. I realized I can do this. These guys can do it. They're not more special than me. I'm sure I can. And I tried and I was successful. And I did my first Olympic distance triathlon. And then I finished that, crossed that finish line. And I remember crossing that finish line, Quinn. And I thought, I'm going to be an Ironman. And then I thought, if I'm going to be an Ironman, I probably need to learn how to exercise for longer than an hour at a time. <laughs> uh, so then I said, which, well, which for most do? of us that are listening are saying that sounds incredibly exhausting, but yeah. you're about to describe, I think how, how this was actually like that, that fanning the flame. Yeah, that's right. And so I went, but it, and it was, it becomes this positive momentum. And that's where team packed in terms of for my, my, it was like, give me a little taste of success in this thing. Mm. I can do it. I'm motivated. I try it. I experience success. Oh, well, I want to try a little bit more. And I have the capacity. And at the time, mid twenties, I'd started a business. Uh, I wasn't exactly a lot of extra cash floating around. Um, and so the, the cheapest endurance sport that I could find was running because all you need is a pair of shoes and the outdoors. <laughs> so good news, that's pretty accessible. Yep. And so that's when I committed to run my first marathon. And so I ran my first marathon in the fall of 2009. And in the, in the summer of 2011, I finished my first Ironman. Mm. And, um, I've done a marathon 
every year since then, with the exception of COVID, where I did a virtual race, uh, which was more intense than running a marathon. And then last year when I got injured two weeks before my marathon and had to miss it. Oh. Um, so that broke my streak, but mm-hmm. I am, um, I just, I think that, but that, that, that positive momentum that came out of, I've got motivation to do it. And I know I have the ability to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. And when you have those two things that come together, I think that increased the, 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 again, it's the, it's the fire, the spark and the fuel that when they come together, that lights the fire. Yeah, that's really good. So when I think about our current generation, and maybe this is the case, you know, maybe this is something that, that Tim Eccles saw back back in, you know, 1993 and four and when he was starting Teen Pact. Um, yeah. But it's certainly a through line for every year that I've been involved with this ministry is that, you know, I guess we even see it in our mission statement. It, you know, we do these things for young people at a time in their lives when typically they don't care about such things. Like this is a, this is a state of, of apathy. There's a lack of, of fire. And so Teen Pact is trying to insert themselves, you know, in, in their life in this moment for just four days, five days and try to fan that into a flame. So, you know, when I think about, you know, even that streak that you have of, of, you know, doing this, this Ironman stuff and marathon stuff and, and Olympic, you know, length stuff. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness, this is like, you sound like an inspired person. And over, you know, the, the 10 ish years that I've interacted with you in different settings briefly, you know, I know that you're somebody that pours that kind of passion into multiple areas of your life. Like you pursue excellence. You, you look to communicate well, you look to build team, you know, like you're, you're about that. So at a young age, it seems like, that was fanned into a flame in your life. And that's what doesn't exist in a lot of culture today with young people. So what bridges the gap? What do you think for, for, cause you know, for you, you went on to, uh, to a totally different career path than something in like politics and civics in an official sense. Right. So, so, you know, and that's, I mean, that's the case for most teen pactors, right? Like we, we don't, we're we're not just churning out a bunch of politicians and lobbyists (laughs) per se. Right. Um, like people are going into sports management and people are going into financial management and people are going into nonprofit work and, you know, it's like all over the place, but, but there's something there that I feel like teen packs, I don't know, kickstarting or, or trying to like help with what, what do you, what do you see as like a win when somebody leaves teen pact? Is it, is it that they're more entrepreneurial? Is it that they, um, they just have more confidence? Um, what, what is it that kind of, you know, they, they carry on with them after their teen pact experience? I will, and I'll I'll speak about my children because I've got a 12-year-old and an eight-year-old now, and my 12-year-old is coming to his first four-day class in uh, February of this year. Awesome. And then my eight-year-old will do his first one-day class. Okay, awesome. I'm really pumped to see them experience that. And as I think about what I hope they get out of Teen Pack, I hope they get a chance to experience that recognition in their life that they can do things to influence their environment. And when they see that, I want them to translate that to a skill set that they can tap into in any area of their life. And I want them to appreciate that God's call on their life, God's God's purpose for them around how they're going to work and what environments and areas of culture they're going to engage with, whether that's as a parent, as a leader in their church, as an educator in healthcare and finance and pilot, whatever that is, 
I want them to take from Teen Pack the experience of I can do something that has a positive influence around me. If I set my mind to this thing, I'm going to move this forward because of the skill set God's given me. I'm not, I'm not incapable. It's not an impotence that I have because I'm yes. young. I can do this. And if I can drive through this with how a bill becomes a law at Teen Pact or winning a committee chair election right at a Teen Pact event, or I can just get up in public and speak and influence people to agree with me. And I find advocacy from the, from the Teen Pact legislature in my weekly class. That's the toolkit that I want to see passed to each of my children that they can translate that to any place they go. And if they've got that belief that God can use me to make a difference in the small thing, he can do it in a big thing, that's transferable everywhere. Mm. I hear so many biblical parallels with what you're describing where, <laughs> you know, God kept choosing people of meager beginnings and little faith, and he was able to use Moses and David and all these different people throughout redemptive history. And, you know, when you you look at that chord and it's tied all the way to my life and somehow connected to, okay, God can use me. And if I, if I have that belief and if I've actually experienced it, well, now I can apply that, like you're saying, like a tangible skill to kind of any place that God's called me to go. I think there's something really freeing about that. Um, in the, you know, I've heard it described with, with discipline, like when you're, you know, running or, or learning an instrument, it's the discipline of doing that again and again and again, that actually frees you to be able to run the long race or to play the, the really great piano piece or whatever. Um, there's a sense in which it, it sounds like this, this kind of confidence, uh, is actually a, a freeing thing. Like it actually opens up the opportunity and capacity for young people. And I guess that's a major theme. If I, if I think back, uh, over, over my experience with teen pact, it was really, it was really someone else's belief that even at a young age that I could be that leader. I, I can think of different people. There was a, um, a girl, Lydia Newman in Oregon, who was a staffer when I was a student and she wanted me to run for, for, a position. I didn't want to, but she encouraged me and she's like, no, you can lead. And, and that, that was a pivotal moment in my life at 14 years old, you know, and I can remember, you know, uh, sitting down with Lydia Shanks, uh, where she was, you know, we're, we're working in the office together and she's saying like, no, I want you to do this particular project. I want you to lead. And I remember her sister Lily years later when she was exiting her time working for Teen Pact. And, and I was like, I'm just, I'm like the, the young guy in the office. I still feel like I'm only a few years in. Like, I don't know oh. if I'm ready for this responsibility. And Lily looked at me and she said, Quinn, you're ready. You, you've been leading for years. Like you got this. And there was something almost bewildering about each of those moments because there was like this gap between my self-perception of like, I'm not, I'm not that leader. Like I'm not, I'm not that guy. And somebody else saying, actually, you can lead and you will lead and you're going to do a great job and like go for it. And it's not that I didn't have experiences in my past that could have pointed to that, but mm -hmm. I think my own, I don't know, self-doubt kind of kept me from embracing that. And and I'm just really grateful that that Team Pack keeps putting other other people in your life that say yes, like say yes and and, and kind of invite you into that. So how as a parent, have you been able to kind of, I don't know, invite your kids into that moment of influencing their peers? I'm sure, you know, with an eight and 12 year old, you're thinking, 
okay, they've got a lot of their own friend groups. How much are they being influenced versus how much are they influencing their peers? You know, what are those conversations like? And when you think about adding Teen Pact and other, you know, ministry and organizations into the mix, like what is your hope for your kids in that regard? Well, I want to make sure that we pause on, on that, that contrast you're creating. I think we spend way too much time worrying about our children's self-esteem and not enough time worrying about their self-efficacy. So your self-esteem is, Quinn, you're a delicate snowflake. Uh, look how special you are. You're so special. And hey, Quinn, you get a trophy for participation and you get to win stuff no matter, everybody's a winner. Well, that tells me I, sh- I, I am important and I should just be important and everyone should know how special I am. And I want my children to know you are special, but you're special because God made you and God made you to be able to do things. So it's not that I say you're special. It's I want you to experience your capacity. I want you to have the experiential side of learning and leading. And that's what's the magical formula of Team Pact, I think. We can put students in rows of chairs and preach to them that you're special and you can make a difference. That is somewhat persuasive. But what's powerfully persuasive is when someone goes, Quinn, do this, put your name in the hat and run for this thing. And you try it and you experience success, failure, either way, even if you fail, you got five people to vote for you. Now it wasn't seven, you needed seven to win. Okay. You only got five, but I got five people to vote for me. Wow. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. People showed up and wanted to support me. I can do this. And that's self-efficacy. That's not just being told I'm a delicate snowflake. That's me choosing to do something with my special and making a difference. And when we experience that, that's a radically different thing than just being told that I'm able to do something. That's the magical formula inside of Team Pact. I mean, and that's where Tim's nutty idea of I'm going to take these young kids who some of us couldn't drive. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, here's here's a badge and a uh, set of things to say. Now, go tell those legislators we've got this class and they ought to come talk to it. And I'm like, dude, I was in a class three weeks ago and now I'm wandering around the Capitol going up like, yes, I, you need to come talk because we're very important. We have a group of very influential constituents and it's very important you come speak to our group. And they're like, who are you again? I'm like, I'm Justin Neal and I'm with Team Pack. Come on, dang it. Yeah, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I matter. And that's what changed the whole thing for me was I can do this. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So I, I totally see that. I mean, I, I've shared just a couple of key points in my story where I felt like that that moment happened where I was I was able to be in the driver's seat. You know, I was I was, yeah, the one that had to go and, and bring the the speaker over to a class, those sorts of moments. Um, it seems like, you know, to to really continue this over a lifetime though, this requires like a, a renewal of commitment you know, of, of discipline of like, a, you know, I guess my, my mom would, would, would say that it's, you know, it's, it's the, um, it's the commitment to, to being a lifelong learner. You know, there, there's kind of this, I'm always looking to excel. I'm always looking to grow. I'm always looking to learn. Right. So I wonder what has it been for you that's kind of kept this sort of motivation going? Cause you know, for me, 
um, just recently what it's been has been a project at my house where I, I, I'm not a, a super handy guy when it comes to house projects, but I was challenged by um, Ben Sass's book, uh, The Vanishing American Adult, where he talks about how it's, um, it's more fulfilling to produce than to uh, consume. And uh, so this idea of like fixing something or building something is actually deeply fulfilling. It's the way God created us. And it's also something we model for our children. And so I started thinking about that. I was like, man, okay, I could pay, you know, somebody to repair this thing for $150 or for $20 at Lowe's and two hours of YouTube video you know, or whatever. I could right, probably figure right. this out and do this. Yeah. And it's actually been really rewarding because I I feel like I've started to experience this kind of renewal of that commitment to engage that commitment to, I don't know, just, just kind of always be in that, in that vein of, of growth and continual motivation. And so what is that when, when you think about influence, when you think about your, your business, when you think about your church involvement, when you think about the conversations you're having about what books you're reading, like how do you kind of keep, pushing for this? How do you, how do you maintain that longevity of a leader who influences their peers? So one, one comment I heard recently, which I think is a great modern summary of Proverbs is that you are the average of your five closest relationships. And it's the iron sharpens iron. So I look around at the five relationships that I spend the most time with and that I have the most belief and confidence in they are high performers. And I think about, are they really like, are these five people around me? What are they adding to my life contributing? Where are they pulling me up? Are they pulling me down? Are they peers? Um, And I, so I want to think about that. And I believe that if I'm in a group where they are, they are aspirational, focused. They are available to God's call. They are striving to be obedient to God's call. That is likely to be a group of people, regardless of their where they are, like the ministry, um, my, my field in finance, whether they're in some other field, politics, doesn't matter. But if they are striving to be available and obedient, and they are bringing all of their capacity to bear... One, that's inspiring me consistently. And number two, I want to be worthy of being in their company. Mm, so it yeah. drives me. Like, I, I can't suck because if I suck, they're going <laughs> to want to hang out with me. Like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's dragging the group down. Yeah, so yeah. what does that look like for me to belong and contribute to my community? And if my community of people is constantly working to, to and, and wanting to use their gifts and talents, I gotta hack it. Like I can't just I can't just get lazy, and that's that's I think an important, you know, again way to a manifestation or a summary of the tr- of this truth in Proverbs, right? That there's wisdom by many counselors, iron sharpens iron, and so I want to surround myself with people I have great respect for. Um, I'm also a huge believer, and I spent a lot of the last probably five to seven years of my life um, involved in a Paul and Timothy concept of discipling, where I always want someone in my life who I view as a more mature spiritual leader to me. And I want to always be speaking into the life of someone who sees me as a more mature spiritual leader for them. 
Um, and through that, God has blessed me so deeply because I constantly feel uh, <laughs> brought to accountability and made transparent and having to be vulnerable to someone who I see as wise and mature. And that when they ask me hard questions, I feel like I need to answer them honestly. And I'm constantly trying to think, how should I, how do I need to live out my life and calling and purpose in a way that is worthy of someone who's, who's going to be a Timothy to me being willing to stay that way. And, and of course, these conversations are all in the context of I'm fallen. I'm a sinner. I will sin. I will let you down. Please don't put me on a pedestal, but I do want to be, um, I do want to be engaged and involved in my life in such a way that I can provide something to someone who's looking to me for guidance and leadership and maturity. Yeah. So those are my two things. Average of the five people, the relationships that are closest and Paul, Timothy, and my Paul and Timothy, and God's blessed me with um, several of both, but, mm. but I would say having those constantly in my life as some of my five, yeah, that drives me every day. Yeah. And, and the, you know, kind of that middle area of having peers, friends who are kind of That's at right. a similar level as you, as it seems like those, um, those are really core and formative, you know, for the people that you're putting yourself around. And what I'm hearing from you is, is kind of two things that we need to do. And if you're listening to the Teen Pack podcast, it'd, it'd be a great practical outcome of this conversation if you want to do something like this, but evaluate your own friend group, like evaluate, you know, your closest five, like, is that, a, is that a spouse? Is it a, is it somebody that you, you know, hang out with doing a certain activity? Is it, you know, is it somebody from church? Is it, is it a Paul? Is it a Timothy? And, and be honest with yourself. Like, is, is that, are those people actually, you know, raising the bar for you and, and pointing you to Christ and, and helping you to aspire to the kind of leader that God's created you to be? or not. And then the second part of that is, does anything need to change? And that, that honestly can be really difficult that, you know, there's a number of people, you know, that I, I've, I had the opportunity to kind of challenge with my local church recently to, even if you don't have children or grandchildren here, you know, that are local to you in your home, et cetera, you can still fulfill this, this generational vision of discipleship by having coffee with a young person or inviting a young couple into your home like that, that can be a really effective thing for you to do as a, as an older member of our church. Um, you know, for our younger people, they might only be drawn to people that are in their peer group and have no Paul and no Timothy. And it's like, if you're, if you're going to be an effective follower of Jesus, like you got to get on this. Right. So I love that you've pointed out both the you know, the five closest relationships and the Paul and Timothy. That's a, that's a great way to finish kind of our, our conversation. And maybe I'll, I'll ask one last question actually, cause, cause this has just been so good. But last question I have is when you think about your hope for future generations, when you think about leaders uh, today, you know, there, there's a lot of doom and gloom when it comes to our society, our culture. Um, it's very, you know, postmodern and antichrist and so forth. When you, when you see things like like teen pact or maybe what's going on in your local church and you see, you see hope where, where's your hope for the next generation of leaders? I'm hallelujah, Quinn, hallelujah, that God chooses to have a culture that creates a contrast to his church. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I, the world is going to burn. That is the end of the story. The world burns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. So have no fear culture. Don't be surprised when sinners sin. That 
I, I find myself saying that regularly to believers around me when they go, oh, culture's going bad. I'm going, well, do they believe in Jesus? No. Well, then why are you surprised? Okay. When you have a culture full of fallen humans, don't expect redemption to come without a savior. That's not possible. So don't be shocked. Sinners sin. Cultures, they erode when they are full of sinners. And that's what we have. And that's wonderful because salvation is what matters most. So I say, don't worry about that. Instead say, what is God calling me to do? My own self-leadership in whatever place he's going to plant me and call me. Jesus's call is very clear. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Be a part of disciple making. And I believe if we are in the midst of actively being a disciple maker, whatever that looks like, right? I mean, I spend most of my day helping people deal with tax strategies and financial strategies. And that's what I do all day, but that's needs to be making a disciple is part of my eternal calling. So I say, go and make disciples. And remember, I I do not see anywhere in scripture that God promises us things will culturally get better or easier or simpler. And I don't think Team Pack started in 1994. I think that's the official start date, right? We're now a generation or two later, and either Team Pact is consistently failing or Team Pact's job is not to change the direction of our country. Team Pact's job is to help young people find that connection to their call in Jesus and equip them with tools and skill sets so that they can be more available and more obedient and more efficacious in understanding they can do the work that God has put before them through the lens of and the filter of political engagement and involvement and the skill set associated with that. So it is a it is a case study in helping people experience success in doing the work God has put in front of them. That's what I am totally convicted of. And so I leave that thought going, well, Tim Eccles didn't fail. He followed God's call. And he is a living manifestation of 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if Tim Eccles was going to be Paul, and he said, Peter Martin, okay, Peter Martin, I want you, the things you have heard from me, Peter, I want you to entrust to faithful men, Quinn Cools, Justin Neal. And I want you, Peter, to entrust it to Quinn, who is going to be able to teach others. That's four generations of Jesus. Four generations. What I have taught you, entrust to faithful men who will teach others. And that's the call that I think we are all responsible to answer in Jesus's call to make disciples. Team Pact is a fabulous way to help facilitate that. And I pray daily that my children will their role inside of that context, but not in the context of cultural redemption, but human redemption through our Savior. Mm. That's a really inspiring vision. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing your time uh, and your insight, Justin, with the Team Pack podcast listeners. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the Team Pack podcast. Have any questions about today's episode? send us an email at communications at teampack.com or you can visit our website for more information about our programs and state classes.